You listen to 247 Real Talk. This is your host, Julian Perry. And on this episode, I will be having a conversation with my audience, a monologue, so to speak. And it'll be all about my thoughts. Let's just call it Real Talk. I'll be right back. So good evening, everyone. Thank you once again for joining me for another episode of 247 Real Talk. It is about 11.37 p.m., Wednesday, June 16th, on the East Coast, United States. I'm actually in New York. And uh, I decided to record this episode because a couple of episodes ago, I recorded uh, one um specifically about COVID and, and you know, returning to what the so-called normal. And the feedback I got was not only, you know, uh, really great, but many of my audience, many of my supporters kept saying that while they love the guests that I have, that I should sort of share my own thoughts more often. So I've been playing around with different names for the episodes, but we're gonna, for, you know, we're gonna call this one just "Real Talk" with Julian Perry. So I'm gonna cover a few things that are on my mind. Um, I won't stick to one specific topic like I did with the COVID uh, episode, but I'm gonna start with the COVID episode because I also got a lot of feedback and comments on that episode, specifically about COVID and returning to work and. What I gathered from what I was told, you know, that the feelings that I have are shared by so many. What I'm gathering is even the bravest amongst us or our bravest amount us uh, are scared. Um, I think I used the word petrified when I described how I feel. Um... And that's because I think that a lot of people share the same feeling that we have no confidence in those who run the show, so to speak. Companies want to get people back to work, I think, and I'll check here on my phone while I'm speaking, but I was looking at breaking news today and and, uh, under CNN dot uh, com it said Morgan Stanley CEO to NYC workers be back in the office by September or else and you know it, it is not that I don't get this, the understanding that companies their businesses they need to make money but the, the issue I have is are you really thinking about you, the staff the people who make you the money do you really care about them I mean and that's sort of a rhetorical question because I think most of us will agree, those of us who work for these companies and, and you know, that, and, and depend on them for a paycheck that we go there to do exactly that, but we don't have any confidence that they really care about the employees to that level, at least most companies. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing what the pandemic has 
sort of uh, morphed this into. And, and I think there are a lot of people are looking at their bottom line and people who can afford to look at their bottom line and say, you know, what the impact is and it might not affect them much and it might cost them a little bit in the beginning to sort of redesign their workforce and the way they, their workflow, workflow process and the way they do business so they can support the staff better. I mean, I don't think many people can argue that there is a large population of people who found a greater quality in life working remotely. I think one of the issues that a lot of the companies are saying now is a lot of people for the time during the pandemic left the state and continued to work for the company because it was all remote. They left temporarily and they, you know, they may, they have found that the environment that they went to, whichever state they went to or wherever they went, was more conducive to their lives, was, was, was something that gave them more peace, more, a better quality of life. But they might have been outside of New York, for instance. And many companies are saying, look, if you're going to work for a company in New York, you need to be in New York. You know, going and, 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 and for example, moving to Florida and working for a New York company can't work or shouldn't work. And, and many of us have to say, why not? If I am working for a company and I bring value to that company, if, if, if you put a value on what I offer you and I continue to do as expected, really and truly, why do you care where I am? What, you know, if, if, if my job can be done remotely, if I make you just hypothetically a million dollars a year, let's see an investment company maybe, and I continue to perform in a manner that is pleasing to you, why do you have to be so restrictive? And then I understand, as I mentioned in my last episode, a lot of it has to do with the politics of business. And the, the, the real estate people who, who make money off of these buildings being filled with people, uh, with bodies, I want to say, because I don't care whether they, you know, I don't, I don't think they care, you know, what it is. Just as long as they're making these checks and they're getting these, you know, they're making this money and they're making their bottom line. And, and we, the people who actually have the workforce power, are at the bottom of the list when it comes to the importance of those who make money. I stressed in my previous episode the need for us, the opportunity is here for us to change, to not return to normal, but, re or, but start over with a new normal maybe, for lack of better term. Think about the people, I mean, if no, if you haven't learned anything in the last, what, 16 months, you should have learned if, if anyone you know or you yourself were touched by the pandemic, losing someone, losing people that you know, losing you know, people that are relatives or people that you know, seeing the pain, understanding what those numbers mean, that 600, I think we hit I think the last episode I, that I recorded on this, we had not quite hit 600,000 yet, but I could be wrong, but I'm thinking that someone mentioned to me that we hit 600,000, and, and I, I can't quote it because I didn't look it up, but 
those are actual lives. Those are families wiped out. Those are gener- that's, you know, generations in some families wiped out. Their mothers and fathers wiped out. It's, we need to recognize ourselves as people, as human beings. You know, you know it, and, and the reason that I re- I'm recording this episode is because I'm very, what do I want to say, for lack of better terms, I'm very agitated. I'm agitated because I keep hoping that these things that happened, and, and you know, there's a biblical part to this too that I probably won't cover in this episode because that gets to a whole different level of deep and a whole different level of, of conversation, but things happen in life that are supposed to jar us sometimes, jar us into our, or, or you know, to breaking out of, of, of our current mold to step out and beyond, to do something better, to do something bigger for humanity. And the fact of the matter is that we, here we are with a pandemic with so many lives lost, and we still have a lot of powers that be that couldn't hear less. Maybe some of them were lucky where they skated by, where they didn't lose anyone in their family, even if someone was sick. And now it's back to business and it's back to the bottom dollar. And we seem to lose control, or, or, or maybe control is not the right word, but we, we seem to lose the essence of humanity, meaning that we are born into this world, we live this life, which is a privilege. We go through every single day of our lives not knowing if tomorrow we will be here. And at some point later on this journey, if we are blessed enough to live a long, healthy life, we leave this world. When you are a child, life seems, or life ahead seems long, and, and you know, being 50 or 60 or 70 seems like 500 years away. And then one day you wake up and, and you're, you're celebrating your 50th or your 60th, and all of a sudden, Time seems so short. It is regrettable that there are so many people in this world who will look back at their lives when they hit 60 or, or, or something like that and realize that they're struggling to find joyful, significant moments along the journey. And they're struggling to do that. And the ones I'm speaking of specifically, because there could be many reasons for that, the ones I'm speaking of specifically are, the, are people who have just had to keep their head down, struggling to make the next dollar, to pay the rent, to pay the mortgage, to pay the school fees, to pay the student loans, to pay all these things that other human beings are imposing upon them, and in some cases, or in many cases, unfairly. In many cases, and let's be real about this, and this is real talk, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything you know, if you're, if you're one of my supporters and you listen to this podcast, it means that you're open-minded, you're fair, you're honest. Even if you feel that you're wrong, you're willing to listen to the other side of the equation. Minorities, it has been proven over and over again and has come to light more and more, have gone through so many injustices for work, for jobs, for salaries, you know, that the struggle is... is, is, is a reality that many people who are not in that position don't understand. 
It's like climbing stairs, looking at the top of the stairs at your goal, and it's not a big goal. I mean, many minorities, we have, everybody has dreams, but in many cases, minorities want to say, I want to get to a point one day where simple things that we should consider, where I, I own a house, for instance, and a decent car. I don't have this used car that's always breaking down the way to work. I want to maybe, you know, one of these days, at least once in my lifetime, get to go to Europe or to some other part of the world, to go to France, to go to wherever their dreams are. But they're like looking, they're climbing the stairs to that goal. And it's almost like they're on an escalator that's going in the opposite direction. So as they head, as they have their heads down and they're climbing the stairs deliberately and, and, and striving and struggling, whatever they have, whenever you look up, because the, you're on an escalator that's going the opposite direction, you're either in the same place have made very little progress, or in some cases, because of things done against you, you've slipped even further away from your goal. The only way this ever changes is that somehow this world wakes up to a reality that we're all human beings, that we have the ability when we receive, when we are blessed with so much to, to give back, not for publicity, I mean, I, you know, I, I think about, and I don't want to call names because, you know, again, I'm, I'm not looking to get into legal wranglings with anyone who feels offended. But I can think about a few people who, over the last decade or so, have died. And when they died, their net worth was, I remember one person I'm thinking off the top of my head, was over $60 billion. Not million, billion, right? Um, what do you do with that money? What did it do for you? Did it stop death? And the person I'm thinking about died what we're going to call in terms of life relatively young in the sense that I think he was in his 60s. When you get sick, when you get one of the incurable you know, diseases out there, or sicknesses out there that you know, maybe there's, there's millions or billions of dollars can sort of prolong the time you're here, but only to an extent. And then that time, then you leave here, and that time turns out to be, in comparison, relatively short to many people who are living, living to 80, 90, and in their 90s. And now you leave $60 billion. Think about what you could have done in your lifetime with that money. I'm not talking about buying yachts and buying you know, airplanes and, and, and living a lavish life and staying in the best hotels in the world and, and living in a mansion so big that you, you know, it, there could be a whole other family living in the mansion. You never know because you never actually visit the other rooms in the mansion because you built this monstrosity that, that is supposed to represent luxury and, and wealth. But think about how many people you could have actually helped. You were blessed enough to be in the position to have maybe the, the, the wisdom and all these things that are necessary to make it to the top, what we, want, what we call it, the top 1%. Think about what you can do for this world. Think about what you can do. And I'm not talking about looking at, and, and we have this thought sometimes that people say, you know, I worked for my money. Well, there are other people 
that are, that are working for their money and you know they work in a different type of way. Maybe they weren't born with the whole um, educational uh, uh, inclination, so they became laborers and they and they build houses and they do construction. They do construction. They build a house for the same man who becomes a billionaire. Hardworking people sometimes continue to work hard, but through different circumstances always have their hands outstretched and can't quite grab their dream without the help of another human being. But isn't that what we're here for? Giving money to certain charities or creating certain things as a publicity stunt and grandstanding, do you think that somehow if you are someone who is religious like I am, spiritual like I am, I should say, do you think that earns you something in, in heaven? Because if you're spiritual like I am, then you realize that when Jesus came to this world, he didn't come to this world, he didn't live a life of wealth. It should always be about helping people. And, 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 and there's so many things that have me agitated for this episode that I have to be careful because I don't want it to go on forever. But there's another part to this. Something I'm, I've got become tired of. And that is, every so often you'll see a minority who rises. I ne won't necessarily say it to the top, and I'm not talking about the people who actually own their companies and have managed to you know, get it to that level, but someone, let's say, in an organization who rises to a very high position within the organization, a minority, who along the journey was subjected to the, the prejudice injustices and has managed to break that ceiling and now become a part of what should be the solution. But I, I've, I've watched several people in those roles and realized that they get to that point. And they, who wanted someone to believe in them, don't, be, don't believe in their own. I've watched them get to these positions and, and they almost deliberately try to avoid situations where they can possibly reach their hand down the ladder and pull another deserving minority up. I've heard, I've had conversations with some people who would say things like, well, I have to be careful because my, you know, my, my bosses that are, are, are white, and I'm going to say it bluntly, my bosses are white and I am scared, or I don't, I don't want them to think that I'm helping another minority. Really? And then there's some of them who get to the, to the certain level and they've broken through that ceiling and they've all of a sudden become completely infatuated with that world, so much so that they don't even look back to help anyone else. They, they, they make promises without delivering because now that they're at that stage, I don't know if they want their own other minorities to look up to them and hold them up in that regard, and they feel like if I help more of them to get closer to me, then I won't be that special. I don't know what it is. But I have to, I'm saying this because in my career, I have found myself in, in decent positions with relatively large staff or, or a relatively large staff 
And I have done my utmost whenever I had the opportunity to lift someone else up. And I have been able to do it for enough people that I feel sort of, lack of a better term, sort of going to a shell or feel a bit shy when people, when I run across those people and the first thing they say is, you know, I owe you so much. I want to thank you so much. It's almost a compliment I can't take. And I can't take that compliment because I honestly feel that it's not something that should be complimented. It's something that I should do as a human being. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to extend this thought a little bit more to something else that was on my mind. I'm not sure why it bothered me so much tonight, but student loans. This can be the most debilitating debt for someone who's trying desperately to make something better themselves. Why is this rich country of ours putting such a burden upon students who are going to school to become educated, to become an asset to this same country, and will end up working here, paying taxes here, and giving back to the same the same country, this United States of ours. And then when, whenever the, the conversation comes up about forgiving student loans or wiping them out, you have these bunch of people that say, well, I don't think it should be done, and, and I'm talking about politicians now, I don't think it's fair because I have to pay mine and I have to pay my kids. And I thought about it for a moment, and I, I was a little, you know, I, I, I was a little confused about which direction to, how to look at it for a while. And then I thought about it, and I said, wait a minute. So does that mean that because there was a time when everybody paid for student loans that we can't ever change that? So does that mean that things that were done 500 years ago, we have to continue to do it because someone had to do it then? I mean, okay. There was a time when people struggled to pay their student loans. And it might sting a bit when a, if, if or whenever someone, a president or someone or a Congress has the, the nerve and, 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 and the boldness enough to say, you know what, we care about our people in society. If you are willing to go to college and, and do the sacrifice and graduate from college, as long as you've graduated, as long as you have that degree, we're going to wipe out student loans. You can easily say to them, you know what? You need to work for some company within the United States for the next 10 years or whatever period of time. Or you need to do something else um, to give back to the government, meaning you know, work for a government organization or work for a nonprofit or give some of your time to a nonprofit that helps this society. Utilize the skills that they learned, Okay. Make, give them a sense of, of, of participation and a sense of ownership of this great land of ours by giving back. But no, what do we do? We, we burden people with student loans. And understand, this is not a little bit. When people talk about they have forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 in student loans, that's a lot of money. But that's, that's and, and you know, I don't want to minimize anything, but there are people out there with $500,000 in student loans. They're, they're, 
There are people who have gone through, you know, a couple of uh, maybe bachelors or masters to get to where they want to. There may be doctors who I've heard that have two or three hundred thousand dollars in student loans. There are other career paths like that. And when they come out, they're not making the kind of money to pay back that, you know, fifteen hundred dollars. I mean, that's what it amounts to a month. And then what do you do? You say, well, okay, you know what? I'm gonna defer it, or I'm gonna forbear it until. I, you know, if, if I'm a, for instance, a doctor might say, I'm going into residency now, so I will forbear it or I will defer it for whichever is practical or whichever circumstance they're in until I get to a point where I can pay it because I'll be a doctor. In the meantime, the government, again, you're going to give back to society, the government will say, okay, you can defer it or whatever, but you know what? Your interest is going to build up. It's going to accrue. So on top of on top of the burden, you're also adding the interest over time. But these same people are paying taxes to the government, so you're taxing my salary, and then you're you're basically taxing the loan you gave me. You know, it's hard to understand what makes us great. I mean, here we are with opportunity after opportunity to make the, our lives. And again, it all comes down to the quality of life. And I stress this because I have to say this no, you know, more than anything else. I like to give. And I have to tell anyone who has not tried it. Giving is one of the richest feelings you can ever have in your life. From the simplest experiences I've had where I've seen someone in need and taken whatever I could and given to them and the simple smile, the joy, the way their eyes, their eyes light up, the way you see hope in their, in their expression. That is wealth. There is absolutely nothing that we can do on this earth or, or, or gain on this earth or build on this earth or accumulate in this earth that matters because we do not get out of here alive. The only thing that matters to me, at least in my mind, that is true wealth is between the day we were born and the day we die, how many times we can experience the richness of that feeling, the wealth of feeling that we have made a difference in the lives of someone else. We elect governments, we, 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 we go out and we vote, and we hope for something different and we get the same over and over again. Instead of looking at someone and saying, I paid my student loans and it was tough then, but I have an opportunity now to be a part of a solution to, for, for, to wipe out the student loans that is, that are currently burdens to other people because I can help them now. It's not tit for tat. It's not because this happened to me. Everybody else has got to suffer like me. Then we're not learning. We're not growing. We're not evolving. It doesn't mean that because I had to suffer a pain, the only way that there's, there's balance in the universe is if you suffer the pain as well. No. We're supposed to be making the world a better place. 
And yet, yeah, I, I, I think, I, I can't remember when it was, I read a story about a couple who both went to college and their student loans cumulatively, you know, between the two of them were, I don't know, four or $500,000 and they had to sell their house and move in with parents. These are grown people with children. This is a family that was displaced from their home because this government and the governments, now I'm saying this government, I'm not talking about the government in power and in, in, in control now, I'm talking about government, period. Are so caught up in being in their superiority and their politics and their hatred that they fail to recognize the true value of their lives. The true opportunities they have been given to change and bless the lives of others. So I'm agitated as I re- as I record this episode because I'm tired of seeing us just walk around oblivious to what's going on around us, accepting things that we shouldn't be because, and not purposely. Sometimes, sometimes. The battle is so big, it seems like such a Goliath. And we seem so smaller than David that our distraction is, I just got to figure out how to pay the bills tomorrow. I got to maybe pay this one late or, or pay only the minimum on this one and hope that next month something happens. And in the meantime, we do what many of us do. We pray. We pray that this God who is just will take us from day one to the next day. And in my life, he has, which is why why I'm able to sit here in front of you, my audience, and record this episode. Faith is a powerful thing. Whether people choose to believe or not is a personal choice. But Faith is, I can tell you from my life, and I can only talk about my life and the lives of those around me that have seen or involved in, in faith and in prayer and have seen things change and have seen miracles in our lives that the rest of the world might not see. But we know we've witnessed a miracle because yesterday it was impossible. Today has been, it is possible and tomorrow it's achieved. That means that three days ago when we got down on our knees, whether we were in tears, whether we were begging for mercy, it was of all our human earthly eyes could see what we needed to achieve was impossible. Three days later, it was done. The struggle I think we face as human beings is when we move to the next obstacle, there seems to be the new most or the new, the newest and biggest obstacle in our lives. We're so distracted that we forgot or we forget that when we faced the previous obstacle, God was there. He showed up. He didn't leave us. He didn't forsake us. I say all this to you because in a world that I think is in turmoil, in a, in, a, in a society, in a, in, a, in, a, in a human race that seems to me have lost their way so far from what we were created to be. In a place that's unfair where 
the people that we elect and the people that we look to who help us couldn't care less. They're too busy looking for you know world superiority and 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 tit for tat and 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 they you know they talk the talk but they can't walk the walk. I mean I've seen some exposure recently because of the internet, etc., of bills that have gone to the House and the Senate of the United States and some of the things that some senators have voted against. Things that will simply change and uplift the lives of human beings. Things that have left many people bewildered as to why. And they come up with some foolish uh, explanation for it. I'll call it foolish. Whether, whether they try to tie it to economics or they try to tie it to to, to um, political beliefs, whatever that is, those things have no place in humanity. If it is okay for you to be elected to office and then make a decision because you want to keep your job and your perks and watch the consequences of your decisions, which includes the devastation of lives of other human beings, I have to wonder... When, this, when your time comes to an end, and when you're truly judged, what's your answer will be then? Because the, your political excuse is not going to work. Your economic excuse is not going to work. All that's going to matter is what you did to help another human being. Don't get me wrong, folks. It is a great thing to go out there, be entrepreneurs, to, to step outside the box, to recreate ourselves, to push to make something better, to even gain wealth, or at least in my case or my thought process, gain wealth so that I can help others. It's always nice to have nice things. Yes, you want a nice home within reason. You want a car, maybe if you're a fanatic, you want a couple of cars within reason. But to know that you spend $50 million on a yacht None of that money can, can make you live any longer. Nothing about the yacht can take away sickness. When the hand of the Almighty touches your body, that's the only time you're healed. Otherwise, the money means nothing. Again, I don't want to call names, but I can think of people who had a ton of money who couldn't buy their way out of sickness, and today they're no longer here. That is our faith or our fate, every single one of us as human beings. So whom should we honor? And who should we help? Not sure any politicians will listen to this episode. And if they do, not sure they will care. But one step at a time makes a difference. So the thoughts I would leave you with are, Let's rise together as people. Let's start talking to each other and build a power of numbers to go to our elected officials and say, hey, student loans are killing the lives of people. It doesn't matter that people paid it before. Make different requirements, requirements of, of, of needing to give back to public service or whatever, but 
take this burden off of the shoulders of people who only went to school because they were trying to do something better with their lives and to give back to this society. You can't tax me for student loans, tax me with interest, take taxes out of my check, and then expect me to live the dream that you keep dangling in front of my face. We must change. For those of us who are so into the whole we turn into work, whatever your reason, especially the, 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 the heads of the companies who have choices, I urge you again to think outside the box. I listened to a, a, a press conference by Governor Como um, a couple of days ago, uh, maybe it was even yesterday, I'm not sure, when New York hit 70% vaccination and they lifted all restrictions. And some interesting things he said. First thing he said that caught my eye or caught my attention was that we're not returning to normal. That it's going to be a new, a new normal, so to speak, with new opportunities. And that is important. It's important that what has happened shakes us up enough to change our lives. The other thing he said that I mentioned before in my previous episode was that we will likely experience another pandemic in our lives. That because of how the world has changed, things like travel, things like, you know, the viruses, the variants, all these different things, it's not going to be another hundred years. It's probably going to be, you know, I don't, I don't want to predict anything, but we're going to experience it again. And the problem is this. If COVID was that deadly or, or is that deadly, and another pandemic comes out with, and there's something just as deadly or even worse. Do we want to find ourselves once again packed into buildings, packed into subways, packed into, packed everywhere so that by the time we figure out what has happened, instead of losing 600,000, we, we lose millions right here. Because it's too late, because whatever this virus is, has been able to spread like a super virus because we're all clammed together. We're all so ignorant of our own, because of our own arrogance. So we go back to the way it was, feeling that some sense of superiority because at some point, 600,000 deaths later, we so-called beat COVID, at least in our minds. And we, again, we're arrogant enough to believe that now we are, we're, the, we're, the, we're this, I don't know what, invincible. Until it happens again. In the beginning, when, when, when COVID started, there were family members who were taking videos of other family members and put, posting them online for others to see the suffering. I remember watching a specific video with a young lady who had an oxygen mask on. And with the oxygen, her breathing was so, I mean, she was literally gasping for breath, and in each gasp, her, 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 she was raising her whole half-body up off the gurney to get ear. It was so violent. It was so heartbreaking. It was so disturbing to see a human being gasping for ear, even though they're being given ear, and the oxygens that, they, that their lungs, you know, these, they, they couldn't get it. There's been enough suffering we know there's more to come. Are we going to be wise enough to do what we need to do to 
to at least put our best foot forward to ensure that more lives are preserved should another you know, silent killer, and I call it the silent killer because by the time we figure out what's going on, it has, it has silently moved into many of our bodies, these illnesses. Or are we just deciding that the people, the population that actually owns and runs the country, that's the population, they don't actually matter. And that, you know, whenever something like this happens and we lose 600,000 people, that has become the new norm for acceptable casualties. I'm not sure what the thinking or the process is, what the thought process is. But if it doesn't start with the people and preservation of life and giving people the opportunity to live their best life, then we're fooling ourselves. I don't know what things look like as I get older, but I do know that I want to have as few regrets as possible. I'm in the struggle like everybody else. I've just chosen to put my trust in God and have him lead the way. To each his own, and each of you can make your own choice. But remember, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about us. I want to say a very special thank you to my audience for the privilege of being able to speak to you and with you in the most honest and candid manner. I thank you so much for your support that continues to make this possible. I encourage you to share the podcast and let everyone know that they can listen to this episode or any of the episodes of 247 Real Talk on their favorite podcast app. If you'd like to sing, send me a message. If you'd like to be on the show, if you'd like to share your thoughts, if you'd like to provide me with feedback, email me at podcast at 247realtalk.net. That's podcast at 247realtalk.net. Until the next time, I have the honor to speak with you again. Take care of yourselves and each other.